Have you been zombified by Twitter and the Twitter apocalypse that seems to be impending at the moment? Only a little. You have, though, right? I kind of have. I mean, maybe not completely zombified, but I'm definitely nervous about it. About the... And why are you nervous about this? I mean, it depends on how we're defining the Twitter apocalypse. (laughs) So, I mean, one possibility is like the end of Twitter, right? That could be the Twitter apocalypse. no. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of invested in Twitter, I have to say. Um, but the more scary thing is mm-hmm. that the Twitter apocalypse is Twitter heralding the end of the world as we know it. Right. That's true. The whole thing of will it lead to like a civil war? That's the thing where I'm like, oh, that seems like that could be inconvenient. Yeah. Or just so. more routine violence or whatever. I mean, right. There's so many, there's so many possibilities of how Twitter could make things worse, but there's so much potential for it to make things better. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's what we're, that's what we're talking about today, really. Right. right. That's true. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, I want to welcome everybody to this room here with me and Dave and uh, our guest who we will soon introduce you to, Steve, Stephen Bischloss. Um, we are here, Zombified Podcast. Uh, we're your source for fresh brains. I'm your host, Athena Actipis. I'm a psychology professor at ASU, and I'm also the executive producer of Zombified Media. And I am your co-host, Dave Lumberg-Kenrick, creative director for the psychology department at ASU and uh, zombie enthusiast and sort of social media, sometimes, in, I don't know if enthusiasm is the word. Um, what so. are you, what is your relationship to social media, Dave? I've used I guess maybe recovering social media enthusiast is maybe the the best word. Are you enthusiastic I, about your recovery or you were previously enthusiastic about social media? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. uh speaking of enthusiasm, you know what I am enthusiastic about? It's this episode. Yes. This episode is so good. And Stephen is just like the, you know, expert from the inside out kind of on what's been going on with Twitter because he has experienced it in its many forms from like it being this amazing community for like real discussion to the, you know, current situation, which... Well, I'll let him explain it to you in his own words. but and, And I will say... We talk a bit about things like free speech, you know, and who is human and what counts as human. And those are things I am very enthusiastic about. So even though I personally, I was on Twitter for like three months and then I quit. I was like, so long, 80 followers, um, <laughs> even though they were all awesome. Um, I, uh, I still like talking about it. I think it's a really interesting episode. Awesome. So. Well, let's hear from this week's Fresh Brain, Stephen Bischloss. I know it's crazy, but it seems so logical. Try to fight it, but it's something psychological with you. Makes me act the way I do. I'm not trying to be over-analytical. Retracing time to remind myself how I'm so ready for the Twitter apocalypse. Oh my gosh. Or no, maybe I'm not. 
Are you I'm, not? I'm not? Well, I'm ready to talk about the Twitter apocalypse. I don't know if I'm ready for the Twitter apocalypse, but I'm ready to talk about it. Thank you. Let's let's try to kind of keep it pushed off for a while if we can. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, thanks so much for being here with us today. Really excited to have you. Um, can you just give us your own in your own words? Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you have come to be. I mean, maybe one of the world's foremost experts on the Twitter apocalypse. Oh goodness, that's that's already <laughs> quite a, a introduction. <laughs> um, and I'm going to try to keep it really simple, not not uh, not overdo it. I mean, I, I tell you my university connections first. I'm a professor of practice in the Cronkite School of Journalism, also the College of Global Futures at Arizona State University. Um, I lead the narrative storytelling initiative across the university, uh, which is really focused on you know storytelling in a whole number of different modes, uh, you know, from the written word to film and television and theater and audio, uh, just like this, um, you know, with the idea of trying to, you know, make sense of the world and share with people uh, insights that, you know, in general, given the university, smart people have to say, but don't necessarily know the best ways to say them. Um, I got, you know, my background is as a journalist, uh, and that's true for a long, long time. And, you know, I've written for lots of magazines and newspapers and, you know, The New Yorker and The Washington Post and The New Republic and Smithsonian and, a, you know, a ton of other places like that. Um, you know, I've also written books, wrote a book about uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and his relationship with his mother. Um, with a very specific idea of trying to get people to think about, like, there's a world you think you know, but you don't, right? There's a reason why he ended up in Dealey Plaza, and it wasn't because, um, you know, necessarily that he was insane or or necessarily that it was the CIA getting him there, that it had more to do. I think that you go back and look at the dynamic of the boy's life and his relationship with his mother and the kind of downward spiral that led him there. Uh, just an aside, but may- yeah. maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe relevant in the time when we're talking about sort of people both in a conspiratorial mindset and also, uh, you know, really hyped up right now about, you know, the state of the world. Absolutely. Well, and and I can say I have had so much fun working with you. You know, we've had the chance to do some projects together. You helped me a lot with this, uh, you know, putting a bunch of my thoughts into words and an essay in a format I'd never done before a few years ago. Transformation essay is a narrative, personal narrative essay. Yeah. And and you, yeah, you nailed that. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Well, it was all all your help. So um, I really appreciated that. And I'm so grateful that you're here today to talk with us about Twitter because I don't know about you, Dave, but I am just so unsure about what is going to happen with the future of Twitter. And, you know, I'm invested in it, not to the extent that um, that you are, Stephen. I think you're like, you have like two orders of magnitude more followers than I do. So like there's, you're definitely much more invested, but I've, I've put a lot of time and energy into like trying to um, cultivate like a... Um, a platform on Twitter where I'm providing information that I feel like is valuable and engaging with people. And I just don't know what the future is going to hold with Twitter. You, you, you and everyone else, you know, frankly, I don't think even Elon Musk knows what the, uh, although he might want to suggest that he does, doesn't know what the future is. He's kind of making it up, it seems, as he's going along. You know, that's been pretty clear since he started it. But, you know, I would say just just to kind of set in terms of my own engagement with it, I mean, I, you know, I started this, you know, really at the time of the Trump years and specifically because, 
in those years. Like, you know, it was necessary to say what was right and what was wrong, what was true and what was false, what was a lie, what wasn't, you know, what's normal and what's crazy. Because I felt like it wasn't enough. And this is where I had started just being very neutral, very factual. You know, I'm always rooted in facts, but but it felt like it was important to, to do what I wasn't doing before, which was to start saying increasingly explicitly what I was thinking and what I was feeling. And, and when I did that, the whole thing just started to accelerate kind of like crazy. I mean, at that point, I might have had 5,000 followers. I mean, I got to the point where, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I tend to add something in the range of, you know, five to 10,000, um, you know, every few weeks. What? Wait, I mean, wait, I'm, wait. So, so you're saying at first you were kind of really just posting factual things. Yeah, you know, a link, a link to uh-huh. a story and, uh-huh. you know, that sort of thing. Most people do like, here's an event that we're going to do. And, yeah. you know, they use it almost as a promotional tool. Yeah. But what I understood was that, you know, and this was just what started to happen in terms of the response is like, like people are especially in those things, like they're struggling, they're trying to make sense of a world that was feeling increasingly crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the more that it, they felt that I was sort of tapping into what they were thinking and kind of helped them to make sense of things, you know, the more I found that people engaged. And, you know, I mean, now it's, you know, I mean, I have over 280,000 followers. And, and uh, you know, and it's still like, you know, this month, it went up like 17,000. I mean, it just, wow, it, the, the thing just keeps going. And, and the so you keep getting more followers as people are like leaving Twitter. Well, it's both. <laughs> it's both. So, you know, the, the whole follower thing is super weird right now. I mean, I've had periods where literally like in a couple of days, like five or 10,000 followers disappeared. And, and I posted something just to say, and somebody else had suggested it, you know, you know, like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm been automatically unfollowed from you. So there's something going on, you know, whether it's, you know, Musk, you know, messing with the algorithm or what exactly they're doing. But what's clear is that a lot of progressive voices have been seeing their follower counts dropping. A lot of the more, you know, right wing and extremists have seen their numbers going up if they've been invited back in. And and what's been happening is, uh, you know, I've had lots of people saying like, yeah, I was just unfollowed. I have no idea why it happened. But from you. So um, wait, wait. So like, there's just like mysterious unfollowing happening that nobody has like well, started. So there are what? people exiting. That's true. Yeah. But but you can see there's all kinds of you know more progressive people have been saying like my follower counts are dropping. And then when they mention like hey you know were you unfollowing me and people say like I didn't unfollow you that I was unfollowed. What? So this is going on right now, right? And it's part of, you know, this sort of effort to sort of begin to shift, you know, whose voices are heard. Wow. I had no idea that the Twitter apocalypse was at this level. Oh yeah. Well, so that's so that's the start. So the so you know. <laughs> Oh, that's only the beginning. Okay. <laughs> right. So so how about the fact that um you know, before it, it's not like I lived in a happy little bubble where there was never a differing point of view. There has always been, you know, people who have had a lot of different thoughts. You know, I mean, of course, there's been, you know, by and large, people who are on the same wavelength. But, um, but in this last period, uh, you know, the world has seismically and precisely. I, I mean, I can pretty much chronicle the the when of this shift that's going on. 
August 8th was the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. Um, a month later was when Biden gave his sort of soul of the nation speech where he directly targeted, characterized the MAGA Republicans and the danger that they represent to the republic. Um, and then, you know, then that's that's in uh you know, early September. And then a month later in October, you know, Elon Musk takes over. And each time I started to see a rise of the whole kind of, you know, wound up, uh, abusive, mega crowd attack, 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 no matter what I would tweet, right? And my stuff, it is political. Uh, I do have strong things and strong views to say about Trump um, and about the Republicans and the danger uh, that they represent to the democracy, to the to the country. Uh, I, I've been doing that. I've been saying that for years. It's not anything new. But but now, um, I mean, a thousand replies that are all ad hominem attack. You know, you're an asshole. You're a moron. You're an idiot. You're a clown. You know, uh, and on and on and on with that sort of level of, of uh, engagement. And and when I would say anything about it, the response was always, oh, you don't like differing opinions. Ooh. Right. When really all it is is just abusive assault. And, and I give one example because I just think it's it's sort of a pure one, which I, I wanted to see whether like the contrary opinions were that they really were deeply focused on you know, a, a democratic issue or a, a difference of opinion. Uh, I tweeted two words. Kindness matters. Among the responses, fuck you, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> wow. So this, this, is, this is the, the free speech world that uh, Elon Musk has created now. And uh, I, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of my friends that I've made and, you know, I have a, this kind of fantastic, this is why it's so difficult this period for a lot of people is that people have built communities, right? As, mm -hmm. Like you said, and friends and, you know, people you would never know otherwise. I mean, lots, in my own case, for some reason, lots of Hollywood people follow me and, uh, you know, and I have back and forths, you know, with, you know, I mean, lots of, I mean, as it turns out, famous people, which I wouldn't have done otherwise but we've connected through Twitter and, you know, they'll send me direct message like I'm thinking about leaving or I'm leaving or, you know, I don't know how much more of this I can take. And, you know, Jim Carrey, who has 18 and a half million followers a couple of days ago said, you know, I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Wow. And, that, you know, that's just an example of a lot of people, you know, with millions of followers who are just tired of the apocalyptic end of the world abuse that seems to be showered upon people who are, um, you know, who are not uh, of the same ilk. Yeah. So what was it like before? I mean, was there like discourse that you felt was productive across the political aisle? Did you feel like there was a space for um, something really productive to be happening in terms of those conversations? H hugely. I mean, I, I mean, I so enjoyed, I mean, I, you know, sometimes the way it works with Twitter is like you really have to write declarative sentences, right? It's not, and it can't be super nuanced. You can't do all, I mean, you can write a few sentences. You can say something. It's a paragraph, 280 characters. But what, um, but I loved actually just asking a question, 
right? I mean, how how can we fix democracy? How can we, you know, change the, you know, the uh, the, you know, the process by which presidential candidates are nominated and elected? You know, very basic, almost civics education kinds of questions. And three thousand replies later, wow. right? You you get this incredible insight on what you know uh, people think you know and for and for myself the excitement of it is that um you know i can tweet something and pretty quickly get an idea what's on people's minds right i mean now i'm getting a very (laughs) particular version of that but but it's always you know there's always been of course people that disagreed but but not with the you know with the kind of abuse and and hate that that now seems to be uh most aggressively happening Mm. Well, and if the point of something like Twitter is to have conversation with diverse people who you might not otherwise see in your daily life, then, you know, not having a discourse that is civil right. uh, is right. really problematic. Right, right. You know, ad hominem attack, right? I mean, uh, I, I gave a few examples. That was just, a you know, a tiny slice of the of the different ways people can attack you. I mean, I have, as I say, I've, I'm happy to have a a dialogue or, or for there to be differing perspectives for people to talk to each other. And the, you know, the best part of it is I, I would tweet something and quickly I, I'm gone. I'm not even a part of it. And, and there's, you know, 500 people talking to each other. So there'd be all these kind of sub communities of discourse that was going on where, you know, I just essentially had a prompt that got other people to talk. And, you know, that's a, that kind of, opportunity for people to connect with each other it's it genuinely was a it has been a form of you know electronic community building absolutely which has been you know uh, exciting and and delightful addictive also i can tell you but uh yeah well maybe let's talk about that side of it a little <laughs> bit right like cuz i mean i know that there have been times in my life when i've been totally zombified by twitter you know i'm like on there i'm like scrolling and scrolling and i'm like all right it's 12:30 right. it's but 1 in the morning it's, it's 2 else to do. <laughs> <laughs> like sleep yeah. <laughs> right it, it does that it does that and and, and i can tell you it just just because I, I get all this kind of crazy engagement right thousands of engagements everything I mean I the, the month of the insurrection which is you know January of 21 um, I had 60 million impressions that month right it was like wow. two, two million a day and you know probably 10 percent engagement so it just means lots of replies and you know all, all the ways you know the retweeting all of that just a lot of engagement with people and you know it's a little bit like for my experience, it's a little bit like a slot machine where it's tick, 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 tick. You tweet something and just seeing the numbers going like crazy, it has a kind of dopamine effect. Right? I mean, yeah. you know, that's just the truth. And I, and I, I would say to you, if this is my own zombification, I mean, I, I, uh, I felt like I was doing this out of uh, duty and principle, uh, service to my country. I genuinely, uh, you know, think there was that noble impulse. On the other hand, you know, the tick, tick, tick of the numbers going up, up, up was, you know, the dopamine rush of it. You know, there's no question that's a part of it. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole model of Twitter and a lot of these social media platforms really is just to get us to go on and create content for free on Un- mm. you know we're unpaid content creators right yeah. we get on we make that content and then um that content 
is used to grab other people's attention, in particular the people that, you know, are our friends and colleagues and the community that we're trying to build to keep their eyes on the platform so that the platforms can sell ads to all of our friends and colleagues, right? So <laughs> right. we're kind of part of a, a giant machine. That yeah, is, and, and I think that's yeah. exactly why now you have a lot of people saying like, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna help Elon Musk in his mission." Right? I mean, he's he's already turned off uh, probably most of the advertisers. He's created this environment where advertisers don't want to be a part of this world that seems to be more and more defined by you know hate and abuse. Um, you know, all in the name of free speech. Uh, as if, as if free speech doesn't have any, you know, borders around it, any parameters of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. You know, there was, mo- you know, content moderation. You know, I, I, you know, I, I never used to block people. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I just didn't do it. I just, you know, thought like that's kind of a cheap thing to do. Now, I mean, now blocking could be my full time job. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You know, block, 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 block. I mean, I I started to do it when, you know, the people were saying that, you know, COVID is a hoax and, you know, vaccines are going to kill you. I mean, I didn't want them to use my feed to perpetrate that lie. And then the, you know, the big lie of election fraud, they were doing that. And then, you know, those two you know, big problems, uh, that misinformation, disinformation got me to start blocking but but now I mean it, I mean I, as soon as I see some sort of ad hominem abusive attack I'm blocking. So when you said you don't want them to be using your feed yeah. in that way, is that because they would like post to your feed and people who are looking at who's posting, or is there some other mechanism? Well, of, no, it's just, just yeah. thousands. You know, thousands of people are looking at a at a given tweet. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, there were tweets that had a million or two million impressions or something. Yeah. If if their reply was somewhere high in it, then lots of people would see the replies. Right. So it was a danger. Wow. And and so they were able to sort of you know piggyback on on my feed to be able to uh, further their you know their disinformation. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but I guess if you have an account with lots of followers, then you kind of have a responsibility to. Yeah. It's almost like grooming your feed, like a little <laughs> hygiene, right? Like got to pick off all the yeah, you well, know parasites from your feed. Yeah, and now I mean I I mean I've had to apologize to people who you know have followed me and used to engage who say like I can't I can't actually reply on your feed anymore because I get attacked. Oh wow. See see how it starts to uh, as a kind of viral effect. Uh, it's not just me and it, it becomes anybody who's who's sort of in my orbit. Wow. It's it's uh, it's a dangerous and that's the thing it starts to create this dangerous space. So it's not only the you know the political dynamic of like I don't want to support Elon Musk and look what he's doing and I I think those are real things and you know there have been studies in the last couple of months that have you know since this is not just me anecdotally telling this, I mean, who have done studies that have been able to document rising hate speech um, on, you know, the top users of and, uh, you know, most widely uh, read accounts that are, there's more anti-Semitic, more LGBTQ hate, you know, more hate speech in those accounts. And, uh, and that's been specifically chronicled from the time that uh, Elon Musk took over in October. Wow. So, I mean, really, like, it's been polluting the information sharing space yeah. in a way with a lot of hatred that interferes yeah. with people communicating 
more generally. Yeah, and, and look, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Pollyanna-ish enough that I'd like to think that people can actually talk to each other and and have you know a conversation, you know, even if they have differing points of view. Um, and you know, and I get it. You know, sometimes people are, I mean, you know, are are not very high-minded about all of this, and I and I get it. I mean, left and right. I mean, there's a lot of you know people have been really full of anger, right? A lot of rage over these last years, and they've shown it, right? They've been especially when you're high behind some anonymous label right where they're it's not their name on it they're just you know you know MAGA 12 or something like that then they can say anything they think without consequence but that's gotten a lot worse mm-hmm. I've, I've never been I, it's not that I've never been on Twitter I was on Twitter for three months but I always <laughs> thought this was the whole point of Twitter was a place for people to yell at each other and so and then I I went on in the summer, and I tried to delete my account actually after Elon Musk took over, but then they, it wouldn't let me, and so my <laughs> account is, still right. exists. But I deleted the app, um, and so which I guess my question about this would be: Is this not inherent in this sort of micro platform? Like, can you really have a? I guess you. It sounded well, like you was... were saying you were having conversations. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so. I mean, even like made like real world friends from it, right? And, you know, had all kinds of, you know, interesting opportunities, you know, and it's not just sort of, you know, that side of it, but but people connected in, in the, uh, you know, in the virtual world enough that they wanted to connect in real world ways. So, so that's been going on. But, you know, there was uh, so-called content moderation. Uh-huh. And that's actually what Musk is attacking, that the content moderation, I mean, he basically fired all of those people now um, with the idea that like, the, what they were moderating uh, was the, you know, the conservative so-called, you know, uh, uh, more right-wing voices. So, you know, his thing is content moderation now means let everybody back. Right. So so suddenly, you know, yeah, we want Donald Trump back, even though he was you know, violently inciting a violent insurrection, which is why he was, uh, you know, um, uh, taken off the site in the first place. Sure. Um, so there was at least an effort to try to you know, uh, put some filter on the, the worst. And, and that's what now they're all saying. Well, you know, you all you people just thought it was that the worst was us on the right, not not just, you know, uh, civil dialogue uh, across the board. I, so one thing I so I have been moderated by YouTube. I've had the, the HBES. I made the videos for the the Human Behavior and Evolution Society and they pulled the page and they never told me why um, they said it violates our content policy. It's kind of terrifying, mm. like to have that sort of like, you know, you just get a sort of form letter and then. You say why, and they say we decided, and we're not going to because there was you, like you stuff know? about sex in it, probably. I have no idea, like literally no idea. And so it's this was a, an academic conference that I mm. filmed, and they just pulled it. And so it's like there is there is something I find very scary about the idea of moderation. Yeah. You know, um, well, so. there's a flip side to that. So, and I and I uh, actually. Uh, had this experience in the last few days. So I, you know, I periodically get death threats, right? And, you know, for the wait, most wait, part... Wait, wait, <laughs> <Are> you... <laughs> uh, What do you mean you periodically get death threats? Like through Twitter, through email, like because of the things you're posting? Uh-huh. All, all, all of that. <laughs> oh, my you gosh. Know? I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it's... 
Sometimes it's directly on Twitter. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, really vile emails. Sometimes it's like postcards sent to my house. What? Um, you know, all, all of that. And, uh, you know, I just, I have a really thick skin in general. But as, again, especially in this period, I've gotten a little bit more, um, shall we say, sensitive. And, and there was somebody who basically, I don't even know what I had tweeted, but he his reply was, you know, you need to be put up against the wall. Ha, ha, ha. You know, and, and he didn't say, I'm going to shoot you, but he said, I'm going to, sh-, you know, I, you should be shot. And I <gasps> sent that over. I reported it to Twitter, who then reported back to me, no, we don't see any violation of our policies. <laughs> so it, so it, it's weird, right? And so it is, there's this sort of strange question of who is deciding this? <laughs> and well, nobody at the moment, except for Elon Musk, you know, he fired all the people who were doing the content moderation. And he, you know, essentially on the basis of whim, has decided, you know, who who lives and who dies, who gets to stay and who's who's made Apparently to go I can't away. leave. I'm not allowed to You're leave. You're not allowed <laughs> to leave. Yeah. That's it. Um, I, I'm kind of curious, like, about the, the timeline of what's been happening on Twitter. Um, you give me, like, a little breakdown of, like, you know, when when did Elon take? I don't even remember when well, Elon took in, over. In, and, in the, uh, about yeah. a month. I mean, you know, the latter part of October. Okay. So uh, I mean, there's enough time to see things, and and again, um, you know, he's. I mean, he's he's let Trump back on. He's letting a lot of the most uh-huh. extreme voices sort of back on. To did that the, all happen kind of right away? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in the kind of coming weeks. And, you know, he started by saying he was going to put together a, a, an advisory board to help decide on content moderation. And then he quickly scrapped that and decided like he was going to decide everything, mm-hmm. which is pretty much what he's been doing. And, uh, you know, and, and then he's been doing these polls. So the, you know... Uh, you know, it, 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 I'm almost um, embarrassed on his behalf to mention these as polls sort of in an <laughs> academic context because his polls are, you know, should I let Donald Trump back on the on the, uh, you know, on Twitter? And then he gets, you know, whatever two you know, 20 million responses or something and said, OK, the people have decided. Actually, the people and God have decided. They're, the people are the voice of God. <laughs> what? He's back on. Now, of course, uh, some percentage, and I don't know exactly how many, but some, I w- would guess, a meaningful percentage were probably bots. Yeah. yeah, you know, but those are according to him the people and the voice of the people. So, you know, and and he's using these kind of faux surveys as a way to justify his decisions. I kind of want to talk about bots and trolls and stuff. Yeah, I think that <laughs> because I mean it, it really is like there, there's been such a a shift in terms of you know what we think of as community and then what you know like what are out the influences on how we perceive community and a lot of the entities that we think are people are not actually people on these right. platforms right. and it's so weird that like us as as a humans we can just be like you know, oh yeah, this is a person because we're used to like there are people and people reacting to the bots as if they were people, right? Yeah, and not even I mean, some people don't have any idea that they're bots. Oh well, and and you know, I am I right all the time? I'm not. I mean, am I am I guessing a good bit of time who's a bot and who's not? I, I am, but you know, if it's you know, you know, ultra mega freak 
27943626 and then you read it and 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 it's this kind of garbled version of the English language you know not just because they're so rage filled but because <laughs> they I don't know they live in some other country and they don't even know what grammar is in the English language mm-hmm. it's pretty clear that one's a bot um, and and so sometimes you can tell by the language that's used a lot of times you can tell because you know gee they have so much to say and and they've had their account for you know 20 days and they have two followers right but but suddenly they've already got like you know 400 tweets um, and they're all just attack tweets wow so you know there's there's you know there's a way at least uh, just uh, um, you know manually or anecdotally to be able to to at least get a sense of it but I'm pretty sure that there are sometimes like they sure seem like a bot but they're an, actually they are humans and and they're just you know in their own special place mm. so we have bots and then we have trolls and they're mm. sort of different kinds of things yeah. right yeah yeah, the bot. I mean, obviously, the bots are an automate automated replies that are you know sent out by bot farms. They maybe they're in Russia, maybe they're in Korea, maybe they're somewhere else. But that are that are targeted, uh, that are targeted towards specific accounts and targeted uh, for specific campaigns. So around the time of uh, you know the election, I got a lot of like you know. You know, Biden is Hitler and, you know, pedo Biden. And I finally tweeted something that said, I get it. Hunter Biden is the most important story in the world. And Hunter Biden's laptop is the most important thing for the country to be uh, focusing on. But please stop sending me photographs of Hunter Biden in his underwear. <laughs> right? I mean, a thousand, I mean, just an endless supply of these things. Now, what percentage of those are the bots that did it? Or what percentage is it is all the, the, the human trolls that make the reason that they go on Twitter is just to, you know, is just to abuse people. You know, just yeah. to like say you're a, you're an a-hole and you're an idiot and, you know, you don't understand anything and you're a clown and you should go away. Yeah. Now, is that although is that trolling or is that like tribal attacks? <laughs> right. Because I, I think a trolling is just like goofing or like the person who when you put kindness mattered and mm. the person put fuck you. I'm like, right. that's kind of funny. Like, it, 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 you it know, like, <laughs> right. Back. Like where it's it, like, why actually I almost never like make a point of like amplifying those things. But I shared that one, you know, because I oh, OK, that's that's sure. the quality of discourse uh, these days. <laughs> but it's it's not a bad joke. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. sometimes like just yeah. a completely ridiculous response. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like and so that's sort of like, yeah, people said like, hey, you know, 13 year old maybe you should like go back and do your homework (laughs) right yeah i mean it's uh, so like because i think of that as trolling but then i think of the thing as like people attacking on behalf of whatever cause they believe in as like a that's like a tribal gang sort of thing. so can't there be a tribe of trolls I think that's inherently against the nature of trolling. Is I think it? trolling is you're just messing around, yeah. right? I, yeah. I think. I mean, but yeah. that could just, this could be uh, a semantic question. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I like, think about like troll farms, right? And like those are almost, like they can also kind of involve elements of bots also, right? Where it's like you have some people whose their main goal is to, you know, fuck with others in one way or another. And that might be just because they're, you know, 
like in the in the non troll farm arena, you might have just individual trolls that are like, oh, haha, it's fun to like do this right. stuff for like the lols. Like the teenage, like but, there is a thing of like, yeah, you're 13, yeah. you got an internet account, and now you're just going to say the most ridiculous thing you can possibly say to see yeah. what people but, say. But then oh, there's you know, a but like, there's a difference then between like the troll farms where there is some goal of you know disrupting discourse yeah. or interfering with spread um, misinformation disinformation actively i mean i'll give you a facebook example so this is at the time of the 2016 election um i have a friend um he's actually finished but he's lived in saint petersburg in russia for a long time and and around the time of the 2016 election you know, he was a journalist by background, but uh, you know, but not only did a lot of other stuff. And he started constantly posting stuff that was just attacking Hillary Clinton and attacking democracy and attacking America and you know, free speech and all this kind of stuff. And it was so specific in a way. I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen the the physical receipts. I'm pretty sure he was on Putin's payroll during that period. Okay. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, working for one of those farms, basically, to help spread it. You know, is, is he a troll? Yeah, I, I think he was serving the purpose of a troll, even if it wasn't especially funny. Well, this is what I'm wondering. Or is it just to get a reaction, right? Mm. You know, like, because is it, like you said, the hits I, are... I would love more of, like, <laughs> I just want a reaction. Because, like, if it's a witty, like, trolling... Like, sure. I'm all for that. Oh, um, <laughs> sure. Mean, I'm not humorless. Oh, <laughs> right? um, but... Well, no. So this is this is an interesting question, though. I think because it's like, how do you figure out who is? I guess it's a question of who has what right. Like, what is considered all right? This is a reasonable use of Twitter, and and as a Twitter outsider, like I said, I, I, in my mind, I think of it as Times Square, where I'm mm-hmm. like, I think you go there, and everyone is either yelling at you or trying to sell you something or trying to tell you about some conspiracy theory, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Um, <laughs> And maybe you'll see like a friend or you'll see a famous person and you'll say, hey, and they'll say, hey, back. Right. Um, But if they're spitting at you or they're punching you in the face or they're, you know, shouting obscenities at you, you know, you're probably not going to hang around. Right. Uh, yeah, or pointing a gun at you. Uh, you know, any any of those. Right. They can't point an, act, point an actual gun. They can they can say I'm going to find you and kill you. Right. Which is scary. Right. That is definitely scary. But. They can certainly yell. I mean, but I also feel like when I lived in New York and I'd go to Times Square and you'd see someone yelling and cursing, I mean, it's like, that's kind of as fun yeah. as seeing a famous person. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that was a, this is what happened today. Right, 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 um, right, right. Yeah, the, we live in a in a tapestry of, of diversity of all, you know, different kinds of humans. Right. And, and that's a beautiful thing, right? <laughs> uh, until, you know, it's a particular slice that's, you know, targeting you. Right. So, yeah, because this is also so like a bot. Right. It seems like, well, a bot, there's not really that much reason to have bots on Twitter. But if you have a person who's. Well, it is if you're if you're somebody who's trying to influence public opinion and and an outcome for election or to try to, you know, undermine democracy in one way or another. And, you know, to try to push some sort of a lie about, you know, you know, a president or whatever it is. Yeah. And I mean, this kind of brings us to, I think, a really important point, which is whose interests are being served by the model. Right. Um, And not just by the model, but also then like how it manifests, how it's instantiated in the world. Who is benefiting from it? Right. Right. And look, I mean, the, you know, Elon Musk and, and all the people who are, you know, huge advocates for him just now I'm speaking in a political way, not because, you know, they love 
you know, going to Mars or they love Tesla, you know, but, but because they see him saying like, yeah, let's let everybody back in and let's let all the, you know, right wing people who were denied opportunity to, to be heard, let them all back in, you know, they all, as best as I can tell, couldn't be happier. Because suddenly now they're free to, to say what they want with the idea that they've got this, you know, I'm going to put it in my words, you know, new overlord who says, you know, <laughs> I, I grant you, you know, the power to, uh, to you know, go out, go forth and abuse. Damn. I, I mean, or is it they like chaos, you know, like... Well, the, now who's the they in that case? Is it Saudi Arabia? Is it Putin? So along with you know um, Elon Musk arriving back, guess guess what happened? Uh, he suddenly started po- posting things that were basically Kremlin talking points related to the war in Ukraine, right? Where he was encouraging that the that Zelensky and the Ukrainians should like go to the peace table, negotiate, and you know give up certain regions and so forth. That 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 will help to end the war. Um, I mean, to the point where, you know, Zelensky had to, you know, make public statements explaining why that's a wrong thing for their war for, you know, for their country um, right now. Wow. So he's using it, you know, he's exploiting it. And, and is it because he's trying to push these ideas or is it because the chaos agent actually wants to destroy what has been, you know, uh, the public square for, for for a kind of free speech that they don't want? So so this is so this is a question because I think we, yeah. you know, talking about sort of zombified, which we're starting to get into. But I, I'm actually really curious about the flip side of what do you guys imagine since you guys are both really into social media? What do you imagine the most human form, like the the unzombified version of social media could ideally be? You know what I mean? Is there a way to find humanity in social media? So I believe there has been some humanity already. I okay. mean, I, I'm not convinced. I mean, I, I, you know, I've had people like, persuade me to, you know, I mean, I set up a Mastodon account. Uh, okay. It's a little complicated. Uh, it's a little, you know, user unfriendly and all that. But so far, like, people are nicer. Okay. You, you know, and there's, there's uh, it doesn't seem like people are as focused on attack. Um, okay. You know, it's a little harder to find people I know or friends and all of that. I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of starting over and, you know, already the thing has been building and I'm still just trying to figure it out. But but what's true is that, um, you know, these different platforms uh, tend to attract, uh, you know, a certain population, right? Uh, Twitter is becoming like the uh, Musk version of 4chan, you know, which is just all like, you know, uh, hate and and conspiracy thinking and all this kind of stuff that's starting to have more and more place in it. So, so I believe in stripping away that stuff. So the the beautiful world is actually you know where it really is a public square, but where people like, understand that um, you know we actually can disagree civilly. It, I guess my concern when I hear that mm. um, is is there a way that that this can be curated that doesn't how do you cause, police that and, and and how do you police it without giving without taking away voice from people who sure. have unpopular sure but genuine opinions i sure. guess sure um, sure and you want them to have the space for that yeah i mean i i'm you know i don't necessarily have to engage in a long conversation with them but it's great that they can 
yeah, you know, um. and and find their friends, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, I mean. So, I, what do you think? Yeah. Um, well, I'll just speak from personal experience. I've been, you know, kind of thinking, doing some like social media soul searching these okay. last few weeks. Like, how, you know, how do I want to engage with social media? Right. And um, actually, good talk- questions. Yeah, I, I talked with my agent about it, and he's like. You know, fundamentally, it should be fun for you. Mm. And that should be like the basis of it. And so I've been trying to like say, okay, if I'm if that's how I'm going to approach social media, like how what am I going to do? What am I going to do differently? And um, I've actually been like following like tons of people on Instagram who play bluegrass music. And Mm. so I go to my Instagram feed and I hear like little bits of bluegrass music and uh, licks. And then like some of them are people who I know from like bluegrass festival and like chat with them. And it's like, okay, I'm having fun on this platform (laughs) now. I don't know what's going to come from that, but but I actually, um, and I actually posted on my Instagram for the first time ever, some of my music, which is a parody to the tune of creep about conspiracy theories. Uh-huh. So um, I was like, okay, I'm going to try making this fun for me, yeah. bringing these other parts of my life into what I'm doing on social media and engaging with different communities. So it's kind of an experiment. I don't know how it's going to go, but um, I'm having like, more fun. That sounds like a good experiment. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm still, I'm still in the like, okay, how much should I engage? You know, I mean, maybe I need to, I mean, and I, you know, I, I'm going to do a confession here. You know, I was tweeting probably 10 to 12 times a day. I mean, I felt, I felt a, a, a obliged to do that. I mean, I had this space to do it, and I and I did. I mean, a, again, from a political perspective, I felt like it was a, an obligation to, you know, to say what I thought was going on that would might be of, of some value. But um, I'm pulling back. I'm trying to do a lot less exactly for the reason it's become a lot less fun and and i you know find myself having conversations you know with friends where i've said like gosh i'm beginning to worry i'm like dispirited by this it starts to be bad for my mental health so at the simplest level you want it to be fun or at least not bad for your mental health right oh <laughs> so yeah follow some bluegrass simple. accounts is what i, I would sounds say like a yeah. great plan <laughs> Yeah, you know, I do like I like skateboarding videos and uh, video game Instagrams and how to do woodworking Instagram. So I like practical things a lot. I, I never, I couldn't, I couldn't get into Twitter because I felt like Twitter was all politics. Well, and yeah, so. there, there is, by the way, animal Twitter. I, I might urge oh, really? you if you want to go there. If I ever return there, to Twitter, yeah, oh. and, and just like you know, beautiful things of you know the elephant that's interrupting a TV reporter's interview with his, you know, his trunk over his face, and you know, just all kinds of fantastic moments with all kinds of species. So the, there's a there's a whole beautiful animal Twitter that <laughs> that's awesome. That's also yeah. a happy place. What are some of the other happy places on Twitter? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I mean, what I don't do. I mean, I, sometimes I'll I'll uh, you know post a, a picture of my dog, and then there's like two thousand pictures of everybody else's dog. You know, <laughs> I mean that's nice. And it has its limits, I think. Um, so there's a. I'm still I in did, the animal I'm, world, but I but I also agree. Like music. I mean, people who love music or people who love movies. You know, who who really want to talk about this stuff. It's. I, I mean, I love all of that. So. Yeah. Um, that's that's the you know there there has to be you know that place uh, you know in the middle of the you know the downpour 
right? The, yeah. the downward spiral. There has to be those those places that uh, that still help you to realize, like you know, no humanity hasn't all gone to hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, if you think about it, these platforms are really great places for not just sort of sharing propositional information, right? Mm. Like statements and, you know, links to um, articles and things that are, you know, like kind of dry. They're great places now for sharing things that are very dynamic because, I mean, I've at least noticed that uh, you know, on many of these platforms, video is very, very quickly becoming the dominant sort of, mm. you know, medium that right. people are using. Um, and you can have music, you can have dance, you can have, you know, um, film, you can have, you know, edits that people are making. Um, so there's this opportunity for sort of the very, very, you know, quick sharing of, um, you know, this sort of complex cultural information that's dynamic and exciting and fun and I think has potential to bring people together in ways that haven't happened before. Yeah, and part of some of it's like the emotional space you can create with others. That's part of that that beautiful version of the of uh-huh. social media. But I also and you know this is why I'm feeling you know uh, uh, a bit sad about what's going on right now. It's also a way that you can connect with people who are all over the planet, right? I mean, uh-huh. you know that just remains to me. I mean, it's wonderful to have your own small little community of people. People that are all live in you know your town or something like that. It's a whole different thing when it's somebody who's across the world who has you know a similar interest, whatever it is, and and you know that makes you know a big and and disconnected world feel smaller and con- more connected. Yeah, I found Neil Smith, our illustrator. Through Twitter. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so much of the, like, zombified media world just would not exist Mm. if it Mm. weren't for Twitter, Mm. because I would never have found Neil. So I have to tell you, there was a point, it's about... I'm going to say maybe a week ago, sometime in the last uh, the last couple of weeks, where there was some kind of a breakdown in the, uh, the operations of Twitter. I think it was right after Musk sort of fired most of the Twitter staff, and uh, and then he locked the doors of the headquarters so that people couldn't even come in. Said like, you know, we're not letting anybody else in until Monday. I think it was the fear was that all the aggrieved people were going to come in and you know destroy the place one way or another and and so there was literally one night where lots of people on Twitter lots of people you know friends I've made there and so everybody was saying bye to each other wow. like I'm never gonna see you again <gasps> goodbye farewell I love you goodbye oh my gosh and then the day passed, <laughs> and we're all still there. So it was a, a Twitter apocalypse false alarm. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but I think what it was, maybe it was just like the first wave of people saying like, okay, we thought this thing was really like a government utility, right? It's it's a public square. It's a good, you know, of course it's sort of forever. It's our it's the this this uh, this place that people can can, you know, learn about uh, you know, when there's a you know, a flood on my street, I can find out most quickly what's going on and what I should do. So it has a lot of those kind of public service values, uh, benefits that um, that it's been important for. But I think people understand stood at that moment when everyone was saying goodbye that this is not given this is not forever and uh, and then people started to 
I think, energetically open other accounts and other social media platforms that people are trying to figure out where else can I go if not here. Yeah, well, the point that you brought up just now about Twitter and a lot of social media platforms really being in many ways a a public good. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so important because the economic model for them is not an economic model that actually makes sense given that the kind of good that it is, is a public good, right? So a public good is something that, you know, anybody can benefit from being a part of, but that it also, you know, it takes energy and effort for people to maintain it as such. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so how do we, if we want to move forward with having social media that is more functional and that can like be a cooperative space, you know, how do we build that um, in a way that's like true to the nature of social media as being a public good? So so I just want to pause on the first part of that, really, which is about, um, you know, th- this had the ability to be that place for the commons, right? The place, place where people could genuinely talk to each other and share information. Um, and, and that's a good and you know, almost I mean, I said sort of government utility in a way, it would be better if it had been, you know, there's not an owner, it was, you know, something that, that was understood as being a, you know, um, uh, a function that that a democratic society needs. There's a reason why a lot of the more authoritarian countries have, you know, have turned it off. Right. And are really happy about what's going on because, you know, Twitter was really important during the Arab Arab Spring in Egypt. Right. As a chance for people to talk with each other and connect with each other and figure out what's going on. You know, the Iranians are doing a pretty I mean, they're pretty aggressively keeping people off of social media so that people don't have ways to connect with each other. So so, you know, I'm I'm lingering in that space because. You know, we, we in, in all the world of sort of technology and social media, we haven't really figured out how to organize all of that so that it serves the best interest of a democratic society. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, and yeah. you're, just, you're just letting, you know, you're letting some, you know, megalomaniacs, you know, who for whatever their reasons, either they want money or they want more power. Um, you know, letting them sort of take control of these things and exploiting it for their own purposes. And gosh, you'd think we can do better than that. Yeah. Well, so if you were if you were in charge of Twitter, what would you <laughs> what would you do? I mean, I, I, I'm taking the the point that it, it is complicated because you don't want to just be a you know saying you know you can speak and you can't speak. I I do believe in free speech. I, I would like to. I mean, I really would not like to be in charge of Twitter. I would <laughs> I would like it to be a you know a government utility. You know where where it it's not at the risk of going away if. You know, if Apple or or any other, you know, Procter and Gamble decides they're not going to advertise anymore, and you know, it's been losing money all along. You know, at, at which point do you sort of say, like, does it have to be a capitalist enterprise because its value uh, exists beyond, you know, beyond the marketplace? Well, and and also, I mean, having a business model that's based on selling people's attention seems like it's kind of contrary to creating a you know a commons a public good that people can benefit from yeah but you know the, the funny thing is that uh you know 
you use Twitter, I use Twitter, anybody, everybody who uses Twitter, well, we're all, we are, as you put it, like we're all content creators. It doesn't exist if the content creators aren't creating content on it. Um, and so the fact that you have the owner who's driving, you know, the big successful content creators who are attracting lots of people away suggests that his interests are other than, <laughs> you know, than, than the building of the platform. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. I, I, so I, so the, my, this, my flip side still is yeah. that I still feel like there's this flip certain way that, yeah, that if I think of the way media throughout my lifetime, going back to the days of MTV, mm. has been zombified by corporate interests, right? Like there is this thing where it loses its punk rock edge or that punk rock edge becomes commercialized. Um, and so I am still trying to figure out how can this not happen? Like neither outcome, complete chaos for Twitter doesn't seem like a great outcome, but. Well, just let's just let's slice away the hate speech. Okay. You know, let's let's sl slice away the death threats and, the you know, abuse that, that that's, you know, that's kind of my bottom line on that. You know, uh, is, so is there a way to do that while still maintaining an element of political theater, which mm, I think is sort mm. of key, you know, because I think there is some sort of subversive aspect. Yeah, the world has gotten a little a little more humorless. I think you're right. I think, that, <laughs> this is a, you know, when people are trying to say, like, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't say that, you know, it's going to make somebody upset. You know, I mean, I, I agree with you. There's got to be some space for people to be a little bit offended and a little bit upset about something that somebody else says. But where's the line? That's the, the tricky part of all this. Yeah, I mean, I think of what you, one of the things that you opened with was that, you know, kindness matters and the fuck you response. Like, if, <laughs> if that's in person, that's like funny. And maybe you, funny. you're both yeah. having a laugh over it. Right. But if it's online, it's just like, I don't know, it, it's not it's not the same if it's just the words versus like, oh, we're hearing each other say it. We're hearing intonation. And I don't know him. You know, yeah. I don't know that person. And, and it was one of those with all the numbers after the fake, you know, anonymous name. So, <laughs> right, but even then, there's a, a part of me that a always wonders. 13 year old. Exactly. Or yeah. Or was I he mean, a 40 year old who just really wanted to tell me how much he hates or me? Or just right a now. fuck you bot. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> Would be. Although even a fuck you bot seems funny to me. The idea of somebody yeah. programmed a thing that searches for anyone who says kindness and says, you know, like there's yeah. like, I don't know. I mean, there is this idea like the creative space of online communities yes. is what I love so much. Right. Absolutely. And, um, and I guess I've always been like, yeah, well, you're going to get a little you're going to get some rough edges. Right. And you're going to get and sometimes and I've had to moderate YouTube comments as well. Mm. And there's some really rough ones, you know. And so but it's just so hard. And so. Yeah, I don't know. And and this is the thing and and uh, again the 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 mentality is like okay, free speech means anybody can say anything. And that doesn't work either, right? So I mean uh, and and that's where you get into all these tricky issues. You know, I mean the you know the you're not allowed to say fire in a crowded theater, right? right. I mean, and so I guess this comes back to the Trump, you know, I think the the Trump banning mm. Because that involved real life violence, yeah. right? And so that does undercut that idea of like, well, you're not really going to get shot on Twitter, because it's like people ended up dead. Yeah, like, yeah. and so that is. Yeah, I so. mean, we we could have a long conversation about stochastic terrorism, <laughs> right. you know, and the the ways in which uh, you what know, is so what does stochastic terrorism well, it's, mean? It's the uh, this idea of there are random acts of violence. 
that are uh, that are random in, in one sense because they're unpredictable, but they're driven by by um, you know by certain incitements that uh, that may not be easily directly connected to he said that and therefore that person went out and shot people. But there's enough of a connection of a you know a climate of you know hate and violence and increasing the probability of yes. those events. So so yeah. and and uh, you know the measure has been that there's been a rise in these acts of stochastic terrorism. We, they weren't exactly predictable. A lot of times they they might be somebody who's you know mentally unwell in one way or another. They're not part of an organized terrorist group, um, but they've been triggered. You know they've been triggered by the constant bombardment of you know the election was stolen and you know joe biden is you know is hitler and you know all the kind of outpouring of stuff and you know the jews did it and you know all the stuff that just goes on and on and on and on all the time and um you know it's it you can't exactly make the connections ultimately provably you know in a court of law but but it's creating this environment that that makes these acts inevitable, Mm -hmm. even if not predictable. So there's a question that I have to ask and that we have to ask. Usually when I get to this point of asking this question, I'm not like frightened, (laughs) but I'm really frightened. Like right now, I'm like, I need to ask the question. No, no, no. Um, So the question is like, if we take what is going on with the zombification and Twitter and mm. maybe social media more generally and these shifts that are happening in um, really how these platforms are being managed economically, politically, socially, etc. And we just... Or mismanaged. Or mismanaged, yeah. Um, and then we turn it up to 11. We do the like, okay, if we just like, if this keeps happening and keeps happening in this way, like what is the, what's the zombie apocalypse scenario for the zombification that is happening via Twitter, via social media, and not just, you know, zombification of us as individuals, but Mm. zombification of a lot of the systems that we are embedded in, whether they're economic or political or or social. So, so I I at least start with the, with the Twitter version of that. Excuse me. Um, and and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are trying really energetically to convince me and a lot of other voices that they don't want to be heard to leave. Go away. We don't want you here anymore. And and that's their goal. You know, my, my reaction is, well, I'm not leaving, especially <laughs> because you're trying to make me leave. Right. That's that's the first thing. And so, you know, one version of that is you finally convince all the you know, all these other voices to go away. And then you're left with, the you know, the whatever that mix is, you know, the crackpots and the, you know, the aggrieved ones and the conspiracy, you know, theorists and all, all that that crowd. And then they have their own little chaotic world where they feel like they're, you know, they're in power and, you know, and, and they convinced everybody else to go away. So I think there's a, there's a version of that. So that sort of, if you will, legitimate forms of social media or legitimate communities um, drive people away. I mean, we're seeing it also with, uh, with the elections and democracy where we're, you know, where they're making an effort to so fear and so violence and, and intimidation to convince people you shouldn't be an election worker or, you know, I mean, I didn't put up a sign in my yard because I didn't want somebody to shoot me. 
right? I mean, it's part of the same thing, right? That that you increase fear and you know intimidation and the threat of violence to silence people. Mm-hmm. So I think there, I think that's happening, and I think there's more of that happening. And you know, I think the for me the question is how do you you know how do you make sure that those remain you know, you know, min- minority viewpoints mm. that they don't begin to metastasize and radicalize beyond the level that they already have. Mm. So like real life violence and the fear of real life violence is one of the things that you think we really need to be uh, watching out for yeah. that could escalate yeah. too if we're not. I mean, and, and no. it's, you know, it's been statistically, I mean, the FBI has uh, statistically you know, documented the rise in, you know, in white supremacist domestic terrorism, right? It's, it's been going up and up and up, you know, Trump years sort of to today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it's all part of the same dynamic. Mm-hmm. What are some other aspects of, you know, the sort of changes that are mm. happening with social media and not just, you know, sort of within the platforms, but how they're affecting other aspects of social and economic political life that, you know, if they keep going in the direction that they are now um, could have consequences that we might not quite realize already. Well, I mean, the polarization, you know, of the population, you know, where people, I mean, don't talk to each other if they're from different points of view. You know, it used to be you could have a different, I'm talking now in the real world, you know, you could actually have a Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> where people had different points of view and have a conversation. Now you do, try desperately not to even bring up the topics because you know it's going to escalate. Um, you know, how do we get beyond that? Uh, because I think that's, you know, the, the, the effort has been to politicize every aspect of life. And once you do that, then you break down people's trust in institutions and you break down people's trust that they can work with each other, even if they have a different point of view. So you start to have these, you know, if you will, subcultures or this kind of smaller communities that may have increasingly extreme points of view that, that aren't that aren't engaging with the larger community or or those who differ, except when it comes to, you know, plotting some kind of, you know, dastardly act. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think the question for me is that at a system level is how do you sort of take down the temperature so we get back to the point where like there is some version of, of uh, you know, a quieter body politic where people can actually work together and where you accept where the population accepts that like democracy is a good right it's actually something we all as americans should be sharing in i mean i don't you know i never used to think that that was a you know controversial notion you know until i discovered there's lots of people who don't believe in democracy anymore well i think this idea of you know public goods and commons is a theme that we're returning to repeatedly that doesn't have to be inherently political at all right it's just like this idea that there are certain kinds of things like democracy like a space where information can be shared that everybody benefits from being a part of and that require some investment um, or some lack of exploitation for them to be able to be maintained and this is something that you know is inherent to human life has been from our evolutionary beginnings there are things that are common pool resources cooperation depends on it exactly exactly and and and, and, and depends on in my view trust and empathy (laughs) 
So, you know, honestly, in my own work, I mean, I, I, as much as anything else, I, th I think I'm trying to build empathy uh, uh, toward, you know, toward life, toward people, toward issues um, that, that makes it possible for people to actually step outside of themselves enough to understand why people are acting the way they are and, and maybe be able to, uh, to then think differently about how to cooperate with somebody uh, or on some issue because, you know what, it actually, I didn't realize it mattered until I started to care. Yeah. I mean, I think also recognizing our interdependence with others, even with people who we have differing opinions with, you know, a lot of our interests are still shared in the very big picture and long term. To me, that's, that's hugely important. And then, you know, if we look at like, the research that has been done on like how do you actually manage common pool resources so a lot of people think oh a common pool resource like you can't manage it because people will what exploit is a common it pool resource? so it, it's a public good it's like you know a, a a resource that people can take from they can exploit or they can you know keep filled up and everybody benefits from that being there um and so you know, it, but it turns out that a lot of small scale societies manage common pool resources effectively. So Eleanor Ostrom, who was actually here at ASU um, before her death, um, she worked on this exact problem of how do you manage common pool resources or how do people manage common pool resources in small scale societies? And one of the most important things was that like, the people who benefited from it and the people who had the risks and the costs associated with it, they had to be active participants in setting up the structure and managing it. And if you don't have that, mm. then mm. you really can't have an effective, you know, long-term common pool resource being yeah, maintained. It, partly it limits tr trust and belief in it, right? If you participate in the creation of it, you're more likely to be invested in it. You're more likely to be invested in it. It's less likely that, you know, other sort of goals will be dominant in how you're managing it if you're, you know, part, like, if it affects you directly. Um, and, you know, having a community that's really built around understanding the resource and understanding the risks associated with it and the benefits that come from it um, is, you know, just like that is essential in having, you know, these common pool resources be managed effectively in the medium and long term. You know, Jonathan Haidt, I you know, interviewed him a few years ago as a social psychologist from uh, from NYU. And, uh, you know, we were he was basically saying, you know, 50 years from now, he wasn't convinced that there would still be a country called the United States of America, um, that that uh, where there would be 50 states where everyone agrees uh, that the, and, and are committed to uh, the same constitution. Um, I, I think the things that you're talking about are like how do we how do we make sure that we're able to build and and sustain or repair the things that are already broken that makes us possible that we can you know across the country continue to believe in the you know the experiment of the of American democracy so you know. Um, uh, so that 50 years from now, you know, Jonathan hates, you know, nervous prediction doesn't become true. Yeah. How do we how do we keep the public good of democracy strong? And how do we maybe as we go forward, build these social media platforms as public 
goods more than as, you know, zombifiers of the people who are within them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't we want to have like modes of communication where we where we meet interesting people and we connect with them and and uh, and, you know, you don't you don't leave it feeling dispirited. You leave it feeling uplifted that you're more connected to the world, not less. Yeah. Okay. So I, I have to ask a question then before before we end, because I've been thinking about this, like, you know, if we could redesign social media, like how would we do it? And, and you know, one idea is to really like make it a government utility. Um, that feels kind of boring. It might be the right thing, but yeah. honestly, that feels that feels boring to me. And have you ever sure. seen like the infrastructure, like the well, online infrastructure governments? You know, like, like oh yeah, oh my gosh, like yeah, you don't want to so. go on that. But I think this is sort of this is like yeah. what you're asking is sort of a reframing vehicles. of our normal right. question of how do we avoid the boringness or, or the, the social media apocalypse? How do yes. we avoid this yeah. like uh, this apocalypse times. we've been talking about? Yeah. yeah. Um. How how do we make a brighter future? Exactly. Like, what what. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. And because here we are, we're sitting, you know, in my office at Arizona State University, we're all affiliated with the university in one way or another. What is the role, if any, for universities in oh, this? Like, would it make sense for, you know, an entity, for example, like us, ASU, to be like, hey, we're going to. We're going to make a social media platform that is meant to be a public good, that is based on the principles from Eleanor Ostrom's Common Pool Resource Management, um, and, and you know, do with that as an experiment. <sighs> like, does that is that something that we could do? I mean, I'll say one thing. I really there is like. academic Twitter, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh no. Well, I, but I would like to get your take on this, Stephen. But. I mean, I, I, one thing we've mentioned, video, I actually think as we've talked more and more about this idea of bots and trolls and anonymity, right, mm -hmm. and how, because I was even thinking about how does anonymity change who I am when I'm right. on these spaces, um, I do really like things like YouTube, things like these mini things where you still see a person. Um, so I feel like that's an element I would really like, yeah. but I don't know, what yeah. would you guys... Can we, can we stop the anonymous stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's like when people can hide behind, a, you know, a fake name, it may free them to, to do all kinds of terrible things, right? It can, <laughs> I mean, it can also make them like really funny and free in a way that they aren't in their real life. But, but you know, but it also comes with danger. So, I mean, I, I if you have to put your name on it, then, you know, it does have a way of, you know, um, affecting, you know, the way in which you communicate with your fellow humans. So, I mean, you could argue that both ways, but I think there's a value in that. If it's in the university, I mean, I'm I'm going to guess that there still is going to be this notion about content moderation. There's probably going to be some sure. rules of what you can say and what you can't say, words you can use and words you can't. I mean, I think that might be an even more complicated place, you know, ultimately to decide like the rules of engagement. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, most universities, let alone ASU, don't want to take on that project because they can see that the, you know, the road to victory is like laden with uh, all kinds of minefields. But it's, it's innovative and inclusive. <laughs> Right, so it fits the brand true. guidelines. Let's so, go for it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it's really t even as I said the thing of we should have we should show people. I'm like, oh, then we're just going to have pretty person Twitter again, right? Because that's what Instagram often turns into. Yeah. So I don't know what the solution yeah. is. So I mean, you know, only nice people. <laughs> right. So uh, I think we can do better than that. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, so what's your what's your vision for? A positive future of social media and especially Twitter, since you know it's it is the focus of a lot of attention right now. Not just 
here among us in the room, but I think more broadly. Well, I, I mean, I am, uh, you know, honestly, I'm still, I'm, I'm a little bit in a grieving mode right now, and I'm, and I'm not. I mean, it's not that the that the that the body is dead, but the but the the body is ailing. And, and I'm not convinced that there isn't a path forward. You know, when Elon Musk gets tired of the whole thing, um, you know, he decides like, okay, I just blew $44 billion on this thing and I'm going to go back and, you know, head to Mars and be done with this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, there, uh, there's or, or that it's at a point of chaos and collapse and bankruptcy and 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 the end and and he bails and somebody else says like you know on the ashes of this this thing i'm gonna take i i we this community of people are gonna you know kind of rebuild the whole thing so i'm i'm not necessarily ready to to envision something totally new i'm convinced there's still a way to take the 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 ailing body you know, uh, recognizing all the chaos and the fires and still actually, you know, uh, bring it back to life in a way that that can be the thing that it intended to be from the beginning. So it's sick. It's not quite dead. And if it is dead, you want to you think we can maybe reanimate it. I think that's possible. I think that's a, a great note for us to end on. Um, so maybe the future will be zombie Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be a happy place. There will, there will be animal videos and, and there will be bluegrass. I love that. All right. And, and animals playing bluegrass. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Stephen, so much for sharing your brains with us today on Zombified. Thank you. And if the whole world says that we're crazy. Zombified is a production of Arizona State University and Zombified Media. And we want to thank everybody who helped make Zombified possible. Including the Department of Psychology. The Interdisciplinary Cooperation Initiative and the President's Office at ASU. The Lincoln Center for Applied Twitter Ethics. (laughs) All the brains and bots that help make this podcast. (laughs) Including Tal Ram, who does our sound. Neil Smith, who does our illustrations. Lemmy, the amazing composer and performer of our song, Psychological. And everyone at the Z team who comes up with provocative trolling tweets, right? To, yeah, love them. To get those. <laughs> <laughs> what do you get? when do you get, It's upvotes on tweets? Likes? 
like yeah those things yes. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of social media you can follow us and support us um, we're on Twitter and Instagram um, and uh, even on Facebook now known as Meta I think I'm actually Instagram think and Facebook are both Facebook right? Meta yes. they're owned oh. by Meta yes right but, okay but Facebook still Facebook Facebook so. is still Facebook so yeah so follow Although us you can just like you know you post on there and like do you want to post on the other one too so they're kind of the same thing they are kind of the same thing so that's true and we're, and we're on YouTube they should look for all the zombified media stuff on YouTube as absolutely well. so, so in addition to this podcast we also have this amazing live stream channel that has all sorts of cool shows television and the zombie apocalypse so check that out if you have not yet are, it are is we on, channel said yeah are we on like mastodon or parlor or any of these new ones that are we're we're not but maybe you are. I don't I'm know. not. I, do, I don't know. You're the social media expert. So. <laughs> yeah, I am not the social media expert. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, look for us there and maybe, who knows? Maybe by the time this episode is out, we'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. And Possibly. TikTok, right? We need TikTok. We're on TikTok. We're on TikTok. That's that. right. We, we have to we put should, that on the we list here. We on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yes, All we right. are on TikTok. And you can also just go to zombified.org. And That's you right. can find all the things. We have all the links. Um, you can also uh, go on there to buy merch. We have amazing T-shirts and stickers and mugs and any anything that you need for your holiday gifting needs, really. It's a one-stop yeah, shop. I mean, it is. It's everybody. It's the gift for whoever you know who likes receiving gifts. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and we want to thank you for listening and listening until the very very end you know like dave I mean, and i just bantering back and forth that's true. i mean we don't we haven't reached the end yet so it could be we could just sit <laughs> could here in silence and still. see and then say like one thing to whoever the true fans are what are you going to tell the true fans that are still listening right now thanks for joining us <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Zombified, your source for fresh brains. I know it's crazy, but it seems so logical. I can't deny that there is something supernatural with you.